welcome to another episode of Writers and Fighters, a podcast. This is episode 14. I'm your host, AJ Ortega. Make sure to tune in every week and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. This week, I interview professional MMA fighter Dalton Rasta. He's currently fighting for Bellator in the middleweight division, and he's undefeated at 4-0 as a pro. He's booked on the prelims for Bellator 256 on April 9th, which features several good fights, and you can stream that through Showtime's service. As far as the fights on there, there's going to be Kat Zinganu, uh, Liz Carmouche, in different fights, they're in different weight divisions. And then the headliner is Ryan Bader versus Lyoto Machida. It's a really good card, and he's booked there on the prelims. And I reached out to him a few weeks ago when I noticed that we followed each other on Instagram. And he was super cool about scheduling the talk as he's quite busy training with American Top Team. In fact, I caught up with him right after a practice. Like the guy was still sweating and we we were able to knock out a quick interview ahead of his fight against Tony Johnson again on the 9th of April. Before that interview segment, I want to talk about UFC 260. The big news was that Francis Ngannou defeated Stipe Miocic for the heavyweight championship. When they fought a couple years ago, Ngannou's power was neutralized with Stipe's wrestling. But this time, Ngannou had great wrestling defense and great patience. The power and speed were just as good or better than before, too. And so this all leads up to a series of moments where Stipe's hurt, but still in the fight uh, a couple times until... Ngannou lays him out in the second round. I love Stipe and admire that he's a firefighter in Cleveland still. It's a great story. But Ngannou has a great story too. He was working in a sand mine, a sand quarry in Cameroon, his home country, at the age of 10. And, you know, just poverty and and that kind of a struggle. He eventually grows up to immigrate to France, but the journey is like super intense like reminiscent of border crossing stories from here. But this is in Africa, and he's walking you know, for ages in extreme conditions for a chance at better opportunities. He eventually gets to Spain and actually goes to jail for a couple of months for not having papers to cross the border there. But he eventually gets to France and starts training in boxing, then transitions to MMA, moves to the States, enters the UFC, in 2015, and now he's a champion of the heavyweight division. And with him being from Cameroon, this is the first African heavyweight champion. Additionally, with Kamaru Usman and Israel Adesanya both being Nigerian, this is the first time there have been three world champions from Africa in the UFC. And so that's what I wanted to mention about UFC over the weekend Mostly because I like Ngannou's story, and he's just grown so much as a fighter. Even his his English is really good, but he speaks like three languages. It's his third language. He speaks his native language of Njemba in Cameroon, speaks French, and then English. You know, once he joined the UFC, he started learning English. So in six years, his English is really good. And so, yeah, I just admire him a lot, and I think he's going to be a good a spokesperson for the UFC and a good, you know, face of the division 
for now. Also, just really quick, quick shout out to Miranda Maverick, who was also on that main card, winning a unanimous decision against Jillian Robertson. And Miranda Maverick is getting her PhD in industrial psychology. And she even taught two seminars during her weight cut, the Thursday before uh, the fights. So I hope we get to see Dr. Maverick in the title picture down the road. All right, y'all. Thanks for listening to this week's show. Here's the interview I recorded with undefeated Bellator middleweight Dalton Rasta. All right, and I am sitting here with Dalton Rasta, professional MMA fighter from Bellator fighting at middleweight right now on an undefeated streak of four fights in a row. Dalton, how you doing, man? I'm good. How are you? Hanging in there, man. I appreciate you doing this. I'm kind of curious like about... I really want to talk about your fight coming up next month, but I'm real curious about the journey from being a collegiate wrestler and maybe even before that, and then going into your amateur MMA career, doing quite well, and then the Bellator deal. So before you got into even college wrestling, were you a, a sports guy before? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've done sports my entire life. I, uh, I wrestled from whenever I was a little kid, probably started at the age of six got out of it for a little bit and then about 10 years old 11 years old I started boxing doing jiu-jitsu again a little bit and we got back into wrestling so uh, my high school career was kind of all football and wrestling then I went on to wrestle in college first year then played football a year after that got hurt and got back into MMA as you said I made the transition over to MMA okay okay and so when you were in college you did did you do more of the football stuff or more of the wrestling so I started my freshman year at Seton Hill and I was wrestling, which is division two. I was wrestling. I went 23 and five on the season. I was doing very well there. Had a knee injury there as well. Uh, me and the coach kind of had a falling out over it and uh, weren't seeing eye to eye about things. He wouldn't let me go see the doctor, believe it or not, wow. until the sports doctor at the university approved it and told the uh, told my coach he, he needs to go. He needs to go get his knee checked out. It isn't improving. doesn't have stability. So went and got uh, it checked out. And uh, actually, first day that I went and get – when I got checked – or was supposed to go get checked out, they called me 6.30 in the morning saying they'd have to reschedule. The doctor wasn't out. I walked into practice that day. Coach is like, why didn't you go to your doctor's appointment? I said, it got canceled. He was like, it got canceled because you missed it. And I was like, coach, but all due respect, no, it didn't. They oh, called no. me before the appointment. The appointment was at 8 a.m. They called me at 6.30 saying the doctor wasn't going to be in today and they'd have to reschedule. I said, can I please go get my phone? And I can show you the timestamp on it and let you listen to the message. He yelled at me. He told me to go get out. Went and got my phone out of the locker room. We weren't allowed it in the wrestling room. Came back up, showed him the message, showed him the timestamp. No apology, just looked straight forward. Told me to go put my phone away and get to practice and came came up practice still with a bum knee. And oh, eventually man. my knee got so bad that I, I couldn't wrestle anymore. So I was doing the bike every day at practice. He was expecting me to do PSACs and everything. And the next week with my knee messed up like it was and uh, come to find out, it ended up being a torn meniscus. I didn't I actually didn't go get it checked out until I was at Youngstown State and had surgery on it at Youngstown State. How much then time one, are you talking there, Dalton? How much time are you talking there from between moving schools and, you know, just getting by on that injury? Probably three months before I actually went and got checked out again because it started giving me problems again. You know, the pain never went away. Okay. I okay. uh, kind of just ignored it and did what I could with it. When it got checked out, they told me it was just torn meniscus at first. 
as long as it isn't locking up or catching or whatever, that I would be fine. And I didn't quite understood what that meant at the time, but my knee would stiffen up at times where I couldn't really bend it, couldn't move it, couldn't straighten it out the whole way as well. And uh, I went back to the doctor after having issues with that. And they ended up telling that they're like, that's what locking up is. It's locking up on you. You don't have your range of motion. You, you can't straighten it out. You can't bend it back the way. So I ended up getting surgery on it about six months later. Then played football still, came down with another knee injury. And that kind of ended my football career. That's whenever I got back in MMA. Okay, okay. And so even before that, you did some striking and uh, boxing training and things like that before collegiate wrestling. And so even with that, what do you think was like a, a surprising or interesting adjustment you had to make from the, the wrestling and football world at the college level to now I'm looking at mixed martial arts in the long haul? I mean, the, like I said, the wrestling was already always there. That's your base. I, That's I, your foundation for sure. Yeah, the, I dabbled in boxing and jiu-jitsu whenever I was younger, so the base was there for those, but it needed progression. After I got hurt with football, I immediately, immediately went back to jiu-jitsu. There was a jiu-jitsu gym in my hometown, started doing jiu-jitsu there, and they're like, you should compete in MMA. You're really good. You know, I, I made transition real easy with the base I had, plus my wrestling background, my athletic ability, my strength, explosiveness, explosiveness everything. I learned quickly good attention to detail, stuff like that. I turned around, got a fight in six months after training, you know, started boxing again, doing jiu-jitsu, and uh, it took off from there. I mean, I was amateur for 18 months and turned pro and uh, got my deal with Bellator. Correct me if I'm wrong. All your amateur fights you won by KO or TKO? Yes. And so as somebody with a wrestling base, that's one of those things that, you know, I watch your fights and they say, oh, well, he's a wrestler, he's a wrestler, but... I mean, your striking is one of those things that is keeping these guys at bay and so on. And your record shows that you can finish these guys and not let it go into the judges' hands up until your most recent one, which I thought was a phenomenal performance. At the pro debut, how did that come about? Like, once you do 18 months, that's pretty short. You're on a run. How do you get that kind of attention at the regional level and at the amateur level and then sign with the second biggest MMA company in the U.S.? So, I mean, I, I feel like the wrestling background in college helped a little bit. You know, Bellator likes wrestlers. And then on top of that, I mean, what probably got their attention was how I was doing MMA. And then they look into me and they're like, oh, well, he has collegiate wrestling experience. And then he's also 7-0 and in boxing with all knockouts and TKOs and that as oh, well. great, great. He can box. The dude can wrestle. He has ncaa level wrestling this is a legit guy he's finishing all of his amateur fights 7-0 against really good fighters you look at the fighters records they're good they're legit they're not cans uh one of them recently cody brundage has fought on a contender series he's now six and one as as a professional fighter uh many of my other opponents went went uh professional after that uh a few of them two three of them were undefeated whenever i fought him and i'm finishing everybody you know so uh it caught the attention you know all of that in a sum i feel like helped out and I actually got the call from Rich Chow before my fight with Cody Brundage, my very last amateur fight. I still took the fight, even though it might have jeopardized some things if I would have lost, you know. But sure. I'm all about taking risks. So I took the fight uh, right after the fight. Then I signed with Bellator and got my am or pro debut in March and uh, fought Cody Vital uh, in March, finished him in the first round. Yeah, I saw so, that. I, I took a I took a 
a minute out of my day to watch that fight, man, because it was like a minute and five <laughs> seconds or whatever. Uh, no, yeah, really strong debut, you know, strong debut. Your debut also on your first three pro fights were light heavy, 205? First two pro first fights two were fights. at uh, light heavy. Yes. Dude, 20 pounds is a lot, dude. And so 185, and you look phenomenal at it. I, I think you you know that that's the move for a while, but that's a lot. Tell me about that that move because you're there, you're winning. What's that decision about, and how does that how does that adjust your training? I mean, so believe it or not, I was never a big 205 pounder. If anything, I was on a smaller side. Anything at, at best, average. Okay. You know? So I'm only six foot tall. You know, it's not very tall for for uh, light heavy, you know, you look at John Jones, Gustafson, six four, six five, Giants. Johnny. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you look, you look at all these guys. There, there's potential for a lot of height at that weight class, you know. And I mean, that was the one thing giving up like the reach advantage, you know. And there's still a little bit of it at 185, depending on the opponent. But average height for like 185 is six foot, five foot eleven, and I'm six foot tall, so. I'm right there, if any, a little bit on the taller side of the average, you know, although you still get taller guys. So that was a big reason for the move. And then on top of that, I, I was walking around at like 210, you know. So whenever I start, I train twice a day year round, but whenever I'm in fight camp, I'm up in the intensity, you know, up in the conditioning, doing my extra stuff on top of regular practice. Uh, the weight just kind of comes off itself, you know, especially whenever you're, you start eating right. And I'm walking into fight week, you know, a couple pounds under. Oh, wow. So another big thing, too. So if I'm fighting, once I get up to the higher guys in the division, these guys are going to be on fight day, 220, 225. Right. So I'm also going to be giving up 20, 20 pounds in, uh, in weight as well. Yeah, that's one of the so, that's one of the, the weirdest gaps there in the weight classes, right? Because, tw- you know, you get lower, you know, 125, 135, and so on. That, that's only a 10-pound difference. And here, yes. there's no weight class in between in between them, so you got to make that hard call and ultimately sacrifice something. But but yeah, I think you look uh, phenomenal at middleweight, especially given the control you were still able able to sustain in that last fight with uh, Gwerder. I think you used whatever size you do bring to the table phenomenally. I thought it was really really good uh, and impressive. Yeah, I mean that's that's a prime example right there. You know, like. Uh, Ty Gwerder was maybe like a half inch taller than me, just, just a tiny bit taller than me, you know, but that, that's prime example right there. Like, uh, he, he might be on the taller end of the weight class and he's only a little bit taller than me. My next opponent, Tony Johnson is six foot two. So he got two inches on me, but you know, that's, that's not that much of, of a difference. You know, that, I don't think that's a, that's a deal breaker right there. But if, I, if I'm fighting somebody at six foot five, that creates a little bit of problems, you know? So I mean, there are those guys at 185, but uh, they're few and far between. You know, at 205, like I said, it's more prevalent. Ty Gwerder, for example, he's six foot one, really, really good striker. You know, but doesn't have the the reach advantage. My explosion, I'm more, I was more explosive than him, even though he's a very explosive and athletic fighter himself. And I could strike with him, I could wrestle with him. I was more muscular than him. I feel like I came, I probably came into the fight a lot heavier than he did. And uh, my wrestling pedigree was better. I had the weight advantage on him. Definitely had the strength advantage, power, everything. So I, I feel like at 185, there's not many people that can match my God-given attributes. No, I think, uh, yeah, I just think that you really displayed that. And and again, the advantage in, in some regard in going those full 15 minutes and showing all the tools. Again, the, the, the way you were able to use your weight against the cage tire him out with that pressure again that's one of those things that is part of the game 
I know I, I think I read or heard that you're like, my goal is always to finish the job and not let the judges have a say in the game, right? And you said a really brilliant thing that, yeah. that you never want the judges or the referees involved. You never, you never want them oh. to be some sort of a deciding factor. And you go there and you still do it decisively. Like there's no question, right? And so I think that's a good philosophy. But even in that case, it was a landslide. Yeah, I mean, it was. I beat them all three rounds. You know, thirty twenty seven unanimous decision. I think you could argue maybe one of those rounds might have been a ten eight, depending on the judges. You know, uh, mm-hmm. with all the ground control and he was throwing a lot on his feet. The only thing that was really landing were the the body kicks here and there. But mm-hmm. a lot of the punches that looked like they were landing weren't actually landing. You know, and uh, I think the commentators are a little bit biased towards that. But <laughs> I you was, go back and watch. I was about to say that. Film and slow it down. A lot of those shots aren't landing. I'm just slipping my head off, off, offline. Yeah, rolling that shoulder. And I just moved back. You know, where he, he like catches my hand or my shoulder and it knocks me back, not my, my chin. You say, "Oh, Gorder caught him with a nice left hand right there." It's like, ah, uh, he didn't catch me with it. You know? Yeah. So. It's, it, you know, it's one of those things. I, you know, I watch the fight. Sometimes I watch with the volume really low or you know, even almost on mute. And so I can watch because the comments, I'm like, they just need something to talk about. Like, are they just going to pull something out of the air and just run with that? Because part of the story with, with your fights was the, specifically that last one, was the, does he have a gas tank and this and that? Yeah. And I'm like, dude, he's a rest, like he's a college wrestler. Like, you just grabbed something randomly and ran with it with no evidence for it. You know? Yeah, just well, be- <laughs> I can't say that didn't have evidence. My second fight. I gassed a little bit, you know, the way I was fighting, a couple things I did before the fight, a couple injuries leading up to the fight led to that, but I did get gassed a little bit in my second fight, but there's a saying that go- that goes, you know, don't judge me off of my defeats, judge me off my victories, mm-hmm. yeah. or judge me off my victories, don't judge me off the, my defeats because I have so few, you know, that's, that's, one, that's one of those things, you know, you take one performance, and yes, I did get gassed in that, in that performance, my second fight against Claude Wilcox, mm-hmm. but I mean, there was reasons for that. I'm not going to make excuses at the end of the day. You know, I still won the fight. Even if I had not won the fight, I wouldn't make the excuses. But don't judge me off of one performance. You know what I mean? Right. I had the gas tank. I trained my ass off day in and day out. And I can go three rounds with anybody at the end of the day. And I, I think that that's something you could see where it, it's they, they have to question it. You know, I'm early in my fight career. You can't blame them for not for for questioning it because it happened in my second fight. All my other fights were knockouts or TKOs, you know. So they're like, "Oh, this guy's a finisher, but he doesn't have the gas tank to go with it." It's, it's an assumption that you expect most to make. I think it comes also with the territory of the way you look coming in the ring. You were quite more you were more muscular than Gorder. They call you Hercules, right? That's and so that that using that muscle. It uses oxygen. That's just physics at a certain point, right? More yes. muscular guys have to have more wind and, and train for that, you know? Um, yes. The more the more muscle you have, the harder your beat or your the harder your heart has to beat to pump blood and oxygen into all your muscles. So your resting heart rate has to be lower than your counterpart who's not as muscular as you because they're not carrying as much lean body mass. Oh, yeah. Awesome. But, yeah, I think you, you definitely showed that you got all the tools now. And so you came up that decision win, and your contract was winding down. I would imagine you'd seem like a pretty lucrative fighter on the market, also for Bellator, for them to kind of, you know, come and, and figure something out to take care of you. What kind of informed your decision to continue on and, and keep working with these folks? 
So Bellator is not a bad company to fight for, obviously. It's one of the, uh, no, the yeah. big, you know, one of the big three, big three being UFC, Bellator, and 1FC. My thing is I felt like I wasn't being respected enough. My fights weren't being pushed. I wasn't being marketed. You know, my, my fight would fly on the radar. Nobody would find out I was waiting until the week of the fight, you know. And these, these aren't last-minute fights, you know. Some of them might have been – my fight against uh, Mark Gardner, I take that back, it was like two-week notice, less, okay. you know. So that one's understandable, but my one against Cody Vital, my one against Claude Wilcox, even though he was a late replacement, my original opponent, they didn't announce our fight until way later. Same thing with Ty Gordon. They didn't announce fights the week up. We ended up being on the main card, but we were late on the prelims scheduled originally anyways. And Ty Gordon is a very good fighter, very good striker. I'm one of their prospects as well. I'm a very good fighter. I'm undefeated. You figured they'd want to promote both of us, you know? Mm-hmm. For sure. You know, at that day, it's like it's like what's their method to their madness for like what why why aren't they promoting you? And you try to think of every possible reason. It just doesn't make sense. So I, I felt a little bit disrespected, and I kind of didn't want to resign with them for that. I mean, a, a few things got talked out, and I also have my other offers. One FC was interested in me. Very cool. They had uh, some recruiters reach out to me and put some offers out there. Uh, UFC UFC wanted me to fight on the tough uh the ultimate fighter i'm sure i could have got a dana white contender series deal if if i didn't do that you know or just one more fight went straight into the ufc so i mean i had my options out there that played a part in what took me so long to resign but also another thing that took me so long to resign was like i said the the part where i felt a little bit disrespected so there some talking went on uh there was a little bit of push and pull but we eventually agreed to disagree that worked out some kinks and resigned. So uh, we'll see how, how it goes this time around. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and, and praise them until they show me that they're worth being praised. Right. Right. No. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's because you, you're still looking at your bottom line and stuff like that. Right. And, and business uh-huh. is business, but you also have your integrity. And it was one of those things I, I maybe kind of noticed about you and, and, you know, seeing your, your pre and post fight stuff and, and, and watching your fights online and, and, and this and that, you seem like a guy that wants to give and get respect in this very reasonable kind of way and just be straight up. I thought your call out of Dylan Dennis should have got a little bit more uh, attention. What's this the deal with these trolls in combat sports? People that don't really exude this integrity and respect kind of thing, but are kind of trolls and clowns. It's really weird, right? Yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> so that's another thing. Like, after four fights with both, where I got no post-fight interviews. I didn't get on the mic once, you know? And I see other guys getting on the mic that are that five losses, you know, five and five, right. three and three. I'm like, what is this? You know, I'm your undefeated prospect. You know, you, you claim you're trying to build me up and push me and everything. You're One, you're not announcing my fights. You're not giving me any mic time, you know? So I have to call them out on the camera. The camera's right on my face, you know? So I had to, I had to get that on there. You know, that was the only way of getting it out there. But if they put me on the mic, I call out people twenty four seven. You know, a lot of these guys when they get asked, you know, big John McCarthy can get on the mic. Well, what's next for you? What do you? What do you and the same thing with post fight interviews with the with the press after. What's next for you? Who who do you want to fight? You know, who who's who's a name that pops out to you? Everybody's like, ah, uh, I don't know. I I, I just want to fight, and I'll have to go and look. You know, it, it's because they're scared. You know, right. they don't know what their next move is. They don't know who they're ready for. They don't know what they want to do. And they don't want to say the wrong thing. The fight get lined up and then it'd be bad for their career. Me, you know, I go into each fight with a plan. 
if they really want to build some hype behind fights, you know, and build that, uh, have that build up like the UFC does with their fights and be able to market fights better. They, they need fighters that are willing to do that. And I'm, I'm one of the fighters that are willing to do that. And my call out of Dylan Dennis, you know, with him being a troll, when he said he, he's, he'll, he'll go on internet and go on social media and call out guys that he can't fight in different promotions, you know? And it's like, dude, you're 2-0. At the time when I called him out, it's like I'm 3-0. We're one weight class apart. You, you're a Conor McGregor wannabe. Conor McGregor shoots up weight classes. Why don't you jump up a weight class and fight me, you know? Makes sense. You're you're a uh, black belt jujitsu world champ, you know? I'm just some guy that's 3-0 at Bellator. Come come take the fight with me, man. It'd be a no-brainer. Book it, man, you know? It'd be a no-brainer. Again, from the story standpoint, and again, at the same level in terms of record, like let's let's when you want to that's those are the matches you want to make you want to make and, and there's a certain story you have to build up there you promote it a little bit before before the fight and and there we're off to the races you know there's this how do i get attention but not really have any risk involved because that guy is in a different promotion in a different sport now we're getting into shit like that you know and and it's like what are we doing yeah, so he his thing is he got famous off of Conor McGregor, obviously. Yeah, just for being and one of his cronies. Yeah, yeah, and freaking then the whole Khabib thing. When Khabib jumped in the crowd, and then they're like, oh, he jumped at Dylan Dennis. Everybody's like, oh, who's Dylan Dennis? You know, looks him up. So he got a little bit of clout, gained a little bit of popularity from this stuff, and now he has just big enough following to where he can start trolling other fighters, and they'll actually respond back because there's going to be a lot of people tuning into this and a lot of people seeing Dylan Dennis say this, and everybody wants to see what the response is. So, he has just enough following to where he's getting a response back. Even though every fighter that's responded to him is like, dude, this dude's 2-0. and This dude, yeah, he's good at jiu-jitsu, but he's not a fighter. You, you see the way this dude boxes on his Instagram? He posts videos of him landing two punches, and <laughs> like his footwork looks awful. And it's like they're highlights. It'll be like a minute highlight of him training. I'm like, that's your highlight, and that's the <laughs> best thing that you can post for a minute worth of training? There is something wrong that 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 is totally garbage, you know. And at the end of the day, like the dude's gonna go in there. I can't wait until whether it be me or somebody. There's a lot of killers at 170. This dude's gonna have a rough, rough path, you know. 170 might be one of the toughest weight classes in all of Bellator and all of MMA. Period. No, oh, yeah, in yeah. And again, he yeah, he's gonna be in there with the sharks in no time. Yeah, he's gonna yeah. be in there. Sharks you got no you time. got freaking uh, Yuroslav Amazov. You have freaking. Joey Davis, you got Ed Ruth. There's there's so many killers at 170, you know? There's, like, this dude, Jason Jackson. You know, you can go on, go on and on. Like, that's a tough weight class, and this dude's going to have his hands full no matter who he fights. No, yeah, it's really he gets uh, the attention he has with, with such a, you mm-hmm. know, meager it's kind like, of career so from, far. Where do, you go from here? where do you go from here? You're talking all this shit. No matter what <laughs> fight you take from here on out, yeah, if they give you another rental fighter, Cool, you're going to beat them. But as soon as you start fighting with guys on the roster, what is your answer? You look across the roster, it's like, who do you choose? Because right. when you look at 170, no matter what, you have a rough path. For sure, for sure. And so after your uh, last win, next thing coming up for you is fighting at Bellator 256. That's going to be in April, April 9th. That's on the same yes, card as uh, Bader and the Dragon, Leota Machida. That's a, yes, pretty, that's a pretty cool card to be a part of, man. I mean, yes. so so tell me, uh, what's your goal for that fight against Tony Johnson? I mean, my goal is to go in there and get the win, you know, get the finish. I, sure. I see multiple ways. I, I can knock him out on the feet. I can take him down and submit him. I can take him down to TKO, you know. I can beat him by decision. I, I, I could beat him anywhere, you know. But the, the goal is to go in there and get the finish. And depending on what he gives me, 
I, I'm going to get to finish at the end of the day, but depending on what he gives me, it's going to be the fashion in which I finish it. He could be coming out there with that stupid check hook that he always started. He always winks, you know, sure. turns his head like this, winks back. He doesn't have his eye on the target. He's going to get countered. You know, I catch him with the right punch. You know, I'm patient. I wait for my shot, catch him with the right shot. He's going down. You know, I have a lot of power. He, yeah. he knocked people up too, but I have a lot of power too, man. So if you come in and you're dropping your hands and you're throwing stuff where you can be countered and you're not moving your feet, it's going to be a short night for him that way. And if he's coming in, just being stupid, being aggressive, you know, and just leaving his legs wide open, he's going to get taken down, you know? And if, when we get taken down, I mean, I, I love, I love ground and pound. I love going for the finish with ground and pound. You know, I love doing damage. I see me finishing like that if he goes to the ground, but you know, be aware of a submission. I think it'll be a good fight for you because he's he's one of these guys that is seasoned. You know, he he had his his Dana White Contender Series deal. He's coming off a layoff, but has a, a big win off Joe Schilling. But again, you coming off a four white, I mean, you have more momentum going into it, is what I'm saying. He's has some age on you and stuff like that. But the the groundwork that you did that you showed in your last fight. Just the ability to control the body, also the ability to transition so quickly from different positions of, of control, I, I thought was was people that people don't know how to deal with that. Uh, I think there was there's trouble with that in the last the last fight, your last opponent. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, man. I'm I'm uh, I think it's a big a big opportunity for you. I think um, I think it's going to go well. Yeah, for sure. And a lot of people get the false sense of security. It's like, oh yeah, I train with good wrestlers every day. I'm going to be able to stuff the tape down, you know. I start sucking their takedowns. Yeah, you learn their style, you learn their timing, but my timing is different, you know, and the way I attack takedowns and chain my takedowns and everything's a lot different than who you're training with, you know, so it's a different style for one. And two, like I said, you learn their timing. And everybody and their mom says, like, I train with the, the best wrestlers and the best fighters on the planet, and I get good wrestling so I can stop the takedown if he, if he decides to wrestle with me. No, you can't. No, I order said. Thing. He trained that extreme couture. Every big gym has good wrestlers in it. Every big gym has good strikers in it. Every big gym has good jujitsu guys. Every big gym has good MMA fighters overall. The key is being a good MMA fighter, not a good boxer, not a good kickboxer, not a good wrestler, being a good MMA fighter. And if you look at me and you look at him, I'm the better MMA fighter all around. And like I said, he could have whatever partner he wants. Obviously, Daniel Cormier is a better wrestler than me in a wrestling match. Sure. But this isn't a wrestling match, you know. There's strikes involved. There's a lot of things involved. There's a lot of differences. You're inside of a cage. You're not on the mat. Um, it's it, it's different for one. And two, like I said, Ty Gorders, same thing. Look how many times he got taken down, you know. Was, so, it, was it in that fight I was watching and you shot a double leg and – launched this dude and I thought you were going to throw him through the ceiling like the way you lifted him up so effortlessly I was it I watched all four of your Bob fights Wilcox. It, Wilcox. It was a, there was a second fight yeah and he was a big boy too he was a big yes. boy and that's because we that's because I shot from the open and we hit the cage you know and the cage stopped him so the, the cage isn't a safe isn't a safe place for fighters too they think it is you know it wasn't safe for Tiger Order either that's where I scored all my takedowns at against the cage you know so I prefer wrestling in the open but if it gets to the cage, I'm happy to be there too. No, nice big slam. And I was like, wow, this guy took this 205 or off his feet effortlessly. Yeah, that's some power. So again, like you said, that explosiveness. Yeah, I think I think it's a it's a great quality you have in your fighting. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not afraid to use it, you know. I'd rather use it and get the takedown for sure right away. You know, use a little bit of extra power, be tired, be winded for 
five, 10 seconds, you know, till I gain it back, till I get my wind again. Sure. Then shoot three takedowns, try to be technically correct, run a, run a pipe, switch to a double, you know, lift the leg where he has good balance and somebody taller like Tony Johnson, where if I'm going to be lifting his leg up and try to trip him, he'll be able to defend that a lot better. I'm not going to waste my time doing that stuff if it's not there. If it's there, sure, I'll take it. But if, I, if I'm struggling with it, you know, I miss a takedown once by trying to do that stuff, I'm not going to go back to it, miss it three, four times, because that takes more energy to shoot three times than not get it, oh, for you know, sure. getting a lift once, you know. There you go. And so as customary on this podcast, it's called the Riders and Fighters podcast. Clearly, you are a fighter. So I will ask you, do you do any writing or any reading into books or anything like that by any chance? Uh, no, I do not. Like I said, if I if I do anything, I'll listen to podcasts. You know, I, I listen to authors. They a lot of their podcasts. They talk about stuff that they put in their books. You know, but sure. um, whenever it comes to sitting down and reading a book, I have uh, I don't know if I have ADD or ADHD. <laughs> or, I can't sit still and read a book. You know, and when I get to the end of the page, I have to go back and read what I just read again because I break the words up. It doesn't come together as complete thought. So it's never been something that really interests me. I like listening to things too and hearing somebody's voice that resonates with me a little bit better. And uh, yeah, so I mean, I listen to a lot of motivational videos on YouTube, you know, Eric Thomas, uh, Martin Luther King stuff, believe it or not, Muhammad Ali. Ali's uh, huge for fighters, of course. Yeah. Uh, Mike Tyson, Conor McGregor. I mean, there's endless supply motivational videos on there. Arnold Schwarzenegger. There's there's so much, you know. And then, like I said, on top of that, you have podcasts. And I I watch a lot of videos on technique for fighting, believe it or not. Professional fighter. I have world-class coaches, but you can learn a lot of shit off YouTube. Oh, it's amazing. Be like, well, do you think this will work? Like, I saw this. Like, I want to give it a try. Do you think it'll work? Yeah. Uh, It might. Let's give it a try. You do it. It works. Cool. Same thing with watching a fight uh, on like UFC or Bellator or whatever. You see guys fighting for a world title and they do things That's that you research. never seen before. Yeah. Yeah. If they're, if it's working at the highest level, it's going to work for you. I promise you, but you got to find what works for you. You know, what works for somebody else might not work for you. It has to fit your style. So try everything, throw out what work doesn't work and keep what works. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's great that you, 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 uh, you mentioned, um, taking in like podcasts and motivational speaking stuff through, uh, audio and visual, uh, uh, tools because that those things were all, were all written. Right. And there's, there's, uh, you know, uh, Ali was a great, you know, public speaker. I used to be very anti anything that wasn't a physical book. Now I get audio books all the time and, you know, and podcasts and, and yeah, so I think that's just a new way to take information. Actually, my last guest, who was a writer uh, last week, um, we, we talked about that, that I even give that to my students. I was like, we don't have to always read a bunch of articles and chapters from books. Here's a, a TED Talk. Here's a podcast episode. And here's and it's the same shit because language is language and communication is communication at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Last little bit here I'll ask you, man, is how can people follow you online, support you, uh, and things like that, man? You can follow me on Instagram at Dalton underscore Rasta, uh, Twitter, Dalton Rasta, and Facebook. Uh, you can look me up, Dalton Rasta. It'll pop up. It's Dalton Rasta MMA for my at name, but you know how Facebook It'll show up. Oh, of course. Uh, of course. I don't have a YouTube channel. Don't have a TikTok, none of that stuff, but uh, I, I'm a big user of Instagram, so if you want to keep up to date with my fights, I would, I would do that, Instagram. Yeah, Instagram, we will direct people there, man, and uh, we will also get people to watch that Bellator uh, 256 card. It'll be on Showtime. Uh, you can watch it through their app and all that stuff. 
headlined with uh, Ryan Bader and Leo Machida, but you get to see Dalton Rasta and Tony Johnson. We'll be wishing you luck there, man, and keep that winning streak going, all right? Yes, sir. Thank you. All right, buddy. Take care. All right, you too. Alright y'all, thanks for listening to that interview with Dalton Rasta, undefeated Bellator middleweight. He's fighting on April 9th at Bellator 256. He's fighting on April 9th, Bellator 256. You can get that on the Showtime streaming app. They don't sponsor me, but you should get it. You get boxing as well and some series and movies. If you want to follow Dalton, you heard the man. Instagram, at Dalton underscore Rasta. He's also on Facebook. If you search his name, Dalton Rasta. Dalton Rasta MMA is a little tag. He's on Twitter as well, at Dalton Rasta. As far as us, you want to follow the podcast... Ridersandfighters.com has all of our social media links. There's also an episode guide there as well if you want to look through the back catalog of stuff. Alright y'all, you guys stay up, be good, be good to each other. We'll see you next week.